I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Sean Canungo. Sean is a globally recognized innovation strategist. His work and interviews have been featured in a number of publications such as The Guardian, and his content has garnered millions of views. Sean was named in Forbes as the best virtual keynote speaker I've ever seen, and I would agree to that. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. You're a basketball fan. We're in the midst of March Madness. This episode will be probably released around when the championship occurs. So tell us, who's going to win? Well, listen, first of all, if you, if, you, if you haven't listened to this podcast, I, uh, and, and you, well, if you've gotten this far and you've been listening to this, this man for so many you know, episodes, I need you to do him a favor. I need you to rate, review, subscribe. Mm. Um, that makes a big uh, it's a big thing. It might be small for you, but at least for Matt, it's a big thing. So I encourage you guys to do that. And no, I'm, I'm just really excited to be on this pod. Thanks, and um, yeah, no, I don't know. How, how do you know I'm a basketball fan? How did you know that? I, Sean, I, Sean, you know, I'm watching the videos. I'm seeing what you got going <laughs> on. I saw you interviewed the uh, coach of the Raptors. So, you know, I, I see. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, listen, I'm, I, I'm more of an NBA fan than, yeah. the, than NCAA fan, but you know, I think the thing with the NCAA is that there's no, they, there's no real surprises. So I, you know, mm. I, I'm probably gonna go with I'm probably gonna go with Michigan on this one. Okay, you know, they've been they've been rolling uh, pretty well. But um, you know, I, what I'm actually worried about, I don't know when this is gonna drop. But you know, I'm from I'm from Canada, and uh, we got a guy named Kyle Lowry. He's mm-hmm. the, one of the greatest rappers of all time. He is probably gonna be going to the uh, he's probably gonna be going to the Philadelphia 76ers, your hometown, and yep. I am. You know, I'm 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 okay with it. I mean, I, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm okay for him to go to the Sixers so that you can actually uh, mm. do something with him. I I'm I'm happy for it. Yeah, I'm a big Lowry fan. You know, Villanova, and and he's a Philly guy too. Um, I I have to be honest. So, do you think he still has a little juice left in the tank? I mean, I'm a little worried. We're gonna give up a little bit too much. Now, I think you want us to have Lowry because I think you want some of our draft picks and like that is he cooked yeah. or does he have a little bit more juice in the tank you know what you know what if you if you actually watch him still he's still unbelievable he has surprises yeah. everyone with his skill set yeah. and his determination and he's just yeah. like the scrappiest scrappiest yeah. guy on the on the court but he, he, he you know he's he <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know i think you know next year might be his 
fall year. Uh, I think he still has a lot of value, especially if the Sixers are making a run and MB comes back and, you know, you got mm-hmm. Simmons. I, I think you guys can do really well. So, um, yeah. you know, you can have him, though. We, ha- we won a championship. You can have him. <laughs> Now, what was that like uh, for you when you guys won that championship? Well, to be honest with you, um, I'm not the biggest Raptors fan. Like, I love the Raptors. I, I you know, I go okay. when I go to Toronto, I try to see the Raptors as much as I can. Um, you know, it meant a lot for the country. It meant yeah. a lot for me. You know, watching basketball in this country. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm more of like a players guy. Like, I love following players. To me, oh, gotcha. that is. Uh, I'm like a, I'm an old man, but I'm a new, like I'm a, I'm a kid when I watch basketball. So I love like watching certain players. Like I love Steph Curry. Mm. Uh, I love guys with finesse. Um, yeah. I love Damian Lillard and, and Kyrie mm. Irving, like people that have just, it's just artistry to me. That's what yeah, I love yeah, about yeah. basketball. Um, Sean, I got introduced with your work, um, you know, cause I was experimenting with some different enhancements to my zoom game. And I, I thought I was like a big deal. You know, I got the ring light, got a new webcam. I thought I was doing something big. And then, you know, I come across you in, in your videos, you got this empty theater, this production company, these graphics, you know, you're moving from camera to camera, you're interacting with people. I love it. Uh, tell us the story of that. And you're, you're definitely referring to you know, my keynotes and, and mm-hmm. yeah, pre COVID I was, you know, going across North America around the world, doing keynotes in front of like live human beings. And then when <laughs> the pandemic and when the pandemic hit, you know, I, I actually thought it, it was a home game because, you know, my guys and I, we've been doing so much video mm. um, for so long that we just said, okay, so how do we elevate the experience? Like how do we differentiate ourselves from other folks? We had the advantage of, we were shooting content everywhere. We were shooting content before in a studio pre yeah. uh, in a theater, um, in studios beforehand so we're like okay so how do we do this but we do it live mm. all we need is a, is an internet connection and really it's the balls in our court so um over last year we've just been experimenting iterating iterating on how can we just elevate and and really uh create an unbelievable virtual experience and it's been mm. it's been fantastic and to be honest with you it's been um it's been a, a, a trials and tribulations of yeah. of uh yeah just trying new ways of doing things and it it's been unbelievable you know to me uh, when everybody looks like they're in I- an ISIS hostage video, I just feel like <laughs> it, it's so easy to elevate it. And um, yeah, you know, the, the reason why we're in the theater is because the acoustics are really great. The production is yeah. really great. The lighting's really great. Like it, it's already sort of set up for performance. And mm-hmm. I just didn't understand. And I still don't understand to this day why more and more people don't use um, you know, uh, beautiful stages uh, around them because they're empty. They're sitting mm-hmm. there empty. It's like they're yeah. waiting. They're hungry for revenue. So yeah. th- it's been a, an amazing revenue source for them. And, and it's been great for us too. So yeah. What's been something that's happened, right? That you've done, that you've tried and you were thinking to yourself, oh, this is going to be sick. This is going to be dope. And it just didn't work. Yeah. I think, um, the first time that we did a hybrid event, so hybrid meaning we had people on stage, uh, mm-hmm. we had people in the virtual audience and also yeah, yeah, people yeah. in person. Um, that was a bust the first time that we did mm-hmm. it because because I don't think anybody has really mastered how to do a, a great hybrid event as a presenter. Like how do you give 100% to a virtual audience looking at a camera and being intimate with a camera, but at the same time um, catering to an in-person audience? And in fact, it's only like sort of the best of the best can potentially do it. And I think it's still a new territory. It's a new format, new, new unexplored waters around um, being able to create an immersive, compelling experience for mm. people virtually and in person. It's like doing a concert, but still yeah. when you're in a concert, you're looking, you know, at the big screen, you know, yeah. you're, 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 
it's it, it's it's very difficult to pull off. And mm-hmm. um, the first time that we did it was a bust because most of the times when uh, when when people are in in person, I would look at them, I would look in their eyes. But yeah. we also had like three hundred people virtually that that were like even more important. So mm-hmm. I should have been looking more at the camera than I was in person. Anyway, so that was a big bust and. Since then, we just learned how to do hybrid in new ways and, and still learning. I, I think yeah. it's it's never going to be mastered. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need your help with that because I talk with teachers all the time and yeah. uh, teaching hybrid is one of the most difficult things that they're talking to me about. They're like, Matt, this is so difficult. All the stuff that, that you're talking about. What have you seen that's that's worked well as you've been evolving and changing your hybrid game? I think um, in, in terms of hybrid, I I think what we learned was the people that are in person, they want to understand what's happening virtually. Mm. So for them to have a screen to see what's happening uh, uh, for for the virtual audience. At the same time, the people in the virtual audience, they want to know what's happening. They want to be there. They want to feel like they're they're in person. So giving them a bird's eye view of what's happening uh, from an in-person audience. So giving them mm. both. I think at the same time, giving them the, the Q&A and the interactivity so okay. that they can um, share sort of the same, uh, uh, whether it's voting or Q&A uh, platform, okay. and they can sort of collaborate then. Okay. But it's, it's really how do we create a unique experience so that it's compelling virtually and also in person? Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and they also understand what, ev- what everyone is sort of seeing and doing. I, I think just as human beings, we're just curious. We're like, oh, this is happening virtually. I wonder what it looks like. What all, where are all the cameras? Like what's showing up on the screen um, and, and vice versa. So I think that, that's been uh, the real aha. So there's a, a teacher in a classroom. They're teaching to, they're, they're teaching hybrid, right? They have some kids in the classroom and they have like, let's just say 15 kids at home or whatever. And those 15 kids, another complaint is they don't put their video on. So you're just staring at this little, you know, a rectangular blank space. What should those teachers do? What can they do? What's an idea that, that you might have that's worked and that these teachers can take? Oh, let me try that out. Uh, let me let me experiment with this and, and see if this can help uh, engage these learners or change this situation. What do you think? Yeah. Well, first of all, what, what, which context are you thinking? Are you thinking about, uh, are you thinking about post-secondary? Are you thinking about... Um, okay. I'm thinking like, uh, let's think like, let's just go with the most awkward age. Let's go with middle school. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> well, 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 first of all, why why is it that, like, mm. number one, why is it that their face is not there? I mean, that that yeah. to me is like 80% of it. Like your face yeah. should be there. They should be able to connect with you. They should be able to look in mm. your eyes. I think the entire, what we have learned in, you know, during this pandemic is that yeah. It needs to be a lot more engaging. There needs to be a lot more Q and A. There needs mm-hmm. to be a lot more peer to peer interaction. Uh, I think taking, uh, you know, middle age. I mean, all, every single kid in middle age, they're gaming, right? They're playing. They're Fortnite. They're doing fr- Minecraft. They're on YouTube. They're 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 watching Twitch. It's like, how can we bring more gaming components into what we're doing and and gotcha. elevate the 
uh, educational experience by mm. leveraging gaming. I mean, everyone's just gaming. And, yes. and if you're not gaming and you understand, you don't understand the nuances, the lingo, the culture yeah. of gaming as yeah. a as a teacher in middle school, like you are already irrelevant. Let me yes. repeat that. If you un- don't understand what's happening in the gaming ecosystem as a teacher, you mm. are fundamentally irrelevant because this Love is uh, how they are engaging with each other, mm. uh, especially during this pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think at the same time, when it comes to curriculum, um, you know, we 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 have this the old model of looking at the curriculum is like these old dusty textbook yeah. textbooks that had, um, you know, just information that was you know done back in the seventies, and I think <laughs> utilizing things that are, uh, you know, micro content video, um, mm. you know, uh, you know, small snippets uh, like a TikTok format. Mm. Um, to me, that that's where the future is really going to go. It's it's not about linear learning. It's about yeah. but modular learning. It's about yes. having a unique immersive experiences. And I'm I'm really confused, Matt. And maybe you can help me <laughs> understand this because you work with you work with educators all the time. You yeah. work with teachers all the time. Um, I'm confused because teachers should know that they are in the business of attention. Mm. They are in the business. They compete with Twitch. They compete with Netflix and Instagram and TikTok and board games and time. Uh, that's who they're competing with. And if they are cr- if they're creating an experience even online that replicates what they're doing in sort of a real world, like a, a teacher at a chalkboard, they're going to lose. They're going to become yeah. irrelevant. And so I don't think it takes a I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to understand this. Why do you think that there's a huge gap between what students want and what teachers can deliver? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think I think one of the things to blame is the bureaucracy of it. I think another thing is teachers, and I'm not talking about all of the teachers, but uh, teachers as a whole don't see it as a competition. So they don't see that they're competing with with these games or they're competing with attention. It's I have this and and you need to learn it, right? It's you you need to get this and you need to get an A, you need to get a B, you know, at least get a D so you can move on to the next grade. Uh, so it's not this, it's not the market. It's it's not a market mindset. It's a, you got to do this. Uh, I did it. You'll need to do it. And and we got to keep moving. And, and it's kind of sad, you know, to be honest, as you're thinking about that, because it lacks what's at your core. Um, it lacks innovation. You know, it lacks progression. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's funny because like teachers are supposed to be teaching kids about mm. being agile and mm. being open to change and open to new ideas and perspectives. And yet they are still stuck in the past. Mm. And it's funny, like as somebody who has, who works in innovation, disruption technology, like maybe that's just sort of embedded in my DNA where I'm thinking, how do I just like, how do I change the game? How do I, mm. how come, how do I become more relevant to my yeah. end users, customers? Um, how do I disrupt myself? And I think teachers should walk in every single day when they mm-hmm. when they get into the classroom, whether it's in person or online, and ask themselves, like, how do I get fired today? Like, <laughs> ha, 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 what what is a small risk that I can take that will change the trajectory of mm-hmm. my students or traje- change the trajectory of my mm-hmm. own career? And by the way, you're not going to get fired. But what you're going to do is you're going to take a risk. You're going to take a small experiment mm-hmm. that's going to move the needle. Yep. And uh, whether it's incorporating like cultural collaborations or video or modular mm-hmm. learning or continuous engagement, interactivity, yeah. whatever it might be, um, 
you know, it, it's taking that small risk. Yeah. An- another thing that just came to my mind as well was uh, we had John Couch on a couple episodes ago. You can, you know, whoever's listening, yeah, yeah. go back and, and look at it. He was with Steve Jobs, you know, helped form Apple and whatnot. And he said, Steve said that the <laughs> the problem with education is the unions. So that's another uh you know, that's another piece of the puzzle, which I'm not really going to comment on because I'm in a union. Uh, but, but that's definitely another piece of the puzzle that that needs to be recognized, needs to be acknowledged. And and a lot of people that are outside of the union will will point to that with uh, with some strong words that people within the union uh, won't use. So, you know, the, the, the union piece, I find uh, funny because I think people blame the union, but the union the union is actually in the business of making sure that their members remain relevant, that they True. may remain competitive. Yes. Like so they should be in the business of innovation. Mm. They should be in the business of of giving their members the tools and technologies and the uh just a, a mindset around how do we reinvent ourselves. And mm. so that's what I've always been confused about because most unions that I've been interact with, interact with, they, they mostly care about compensation and uh, fairness when they, when it's, when when they should really be thinking about competitiveness and innovation the yeah. reality is is that you could be all fair all day long but if you are so fair and you're irrelevant then you're going to lose your job mm. and, and 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 that to me is where we should be moving in terms of a union from mm. a, a old and stale like we need to uh you know remain fair versus how do we keep our people innovative and resilient and innovative yeah. and competitive? Yeah, I, I love that angle because you're right. That's what they should be doing. And I've been involved with some union activity that has been like that. And instead of just saying unions are the problem, right? I love your angle that says, no, unions should be trying to do this to keep their workers working and make them the best workers that they could be and protect their job because they're the best because they continue yeah. to innovate and change. Yeah, I I love that. Um, I wanted to get your insight a little bit more about something you said uh, a couple minutes ago with the gaming, right? So let's zoom into a middle school classroom and we're going to experiment for a moment and we're going to try some things out. What would you suggest to this teacher in this class to try out so that they could engage their students with some of the gaming ideas? Well, first of all, I wouldn't even push anything. I would Mm. say I would ask the students Mm. And get a better understanding. First and foremost, what are you doing when you're not in class? What mm. games are you playing? What do you enjoy about these games? Um, and and many will say, well, I play Roblox because I love to play with my friends and we get to collaborate and build these sort of uh, environments. Oh, I love Fortnite because, you know, we get these unique sort of uh, uh, drops that, you know, that uh, where we can sort of sh- showcase our sort of status or scarcity. Mm. Um, I, I think what, the, the 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 first piece is all about is identifying what do your uh what do your kids love to do when they're mm-hmm. not um in class and then you can start to understand what are the gaming mechanisms that are uh working already and i'm not i'm not uh, i'm saying how can you build uh how can you build your curriculum around the things that they're already doing I'm not suggesting yeah. that teachers create a Roblox game uh, yeah. or I'm not suggesting that they create the next Fortnite. 
I'm saying how can teachers utilize the game mechanics or even utilize some of the games in order to get a message across? Mm-hmm. You know, the beauty with some of these games is that you could build your own worlds, right? Yeah. In Roblox, you could like build your own like city, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do we incorporate our curriculum with things that people are doing already? And then maybe even invite people to a Roblox uh, particular game where, where you know, we build our own cities. Maybe mm-hmm. it's... it's um, it's using, um, you know, other things that they, they've seen online in order to engage with students. So I, I, I don't want to be prescriptive. Mm. I think it's just ask, asking stupid questions yeah. and sitting back and seeing what your students say. Because the, the, mm. the, 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 the sands are always shifting, right? Yeah. A game, to, the, the, yeah. what people are on today and what people are doing today might be fundamentally different in, a, in six months, into a year. Mm. And so you mm. always have to be asking and learning about what they're doing. Yeah, and a teacher will never, it will never be a bad decision to have conversations with students to allow their voices to be heard and say, and, and asking, asking them these questions, you know, what, what do you do? What, how do you like to learn? And then the teacher through a reflective process can think about engaging it or interacting with it, integrating it into the classroom. I know for me, I felt like when I was in school, you know, my voice was muted, right? It, I didn't have a say in anything. It was like, do this or go there. And, you know, and sometimes I had to go over there because I didn't want to do what the teacher said. So, uh, so I love that, including the students. Um, I wanted to get your, your input on something with podcasting. So I'm watching your videos. I'm watching the way that you're innovating with, you know, these keynotes, right? Changing the game, doing something different that no one else was doing or no one else that I saw doing it. How could podcasting be done differently? So I was sort of reflecting on your work, you know, and taking it to my work. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, how could this be done differently? I'm like, well, you know, Sean's coming on. I'll just ask him. So <laughs> what do you think? Well, first of all, I, I, I love what you're doing on this podcast. I love that you're featuring uh, really um, creative thinkers and leaders uh, really trying to disrupt the, the education space. So I love the format that you're doing. Uh, and your, obviously your audio is crisp and obviously it, it, you know, you put a lot of work into it. I I think uh, most people don't see the behind the scenes and how much work it takes uh, Mm -hmm. to have a very successful podcast. I love podcasts. I'm addicted to podcasts. I'm addicted to audio. I think it's a great format, uh, for learning. I think, uh, the idea of, uh, whether you're in the car, where you're working out, wherever you are, that you're learning all the time. I think it's unbelievable. I, I, I credit podcasts, um, um, over the last you know, decade to, to, you know, my sort of self-improvement, uh, improving mm-hmm. my business, et cetera. Um, you know, the podcast ca- podcast game is really interesting. I think, um, it's, it's, it's definitely evolving in the sense that the way to get attention off podcasts is becoming a lot more difficult, yeah. meaning, uh, being able to build an audience, um, and, and grow organically, uh, it's a it's a dogfight, right? Because mm. there's so many podcasts out there, and I think at the end of the day, it's really about radically differentiating yourself. And and it's not too dissimilar to what I did with the theater uh, game in, in terms of co- uh, keynotes, which was my whole thing was how can I be one of one? How can I be uh, unique? Mm. How can I stand out from the crowd? And obviously, that was based on how it looks and how it feels. Um, that was on me. And I think many podcasters, what they do is they they go back to the basics that this is going to be an interview style podcast and we're going to interview people that nobody's ever heard wh- about like Sean Canungo um, <laughs> and, and we're going to get his insights. I, th- I think, you know, it's always about differentiation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the ways of y- you have to go into the spaces that are hard, 
the reason why you need to do that is because those are places that people are that are not playing in. So whether it's uh, building a community on Clubhouse and and uh, you know uh, incorporating social audio around what you're doing, like more engagement and interactivity, which we're seeing, you know, people really love and embrace, and 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 that's been really the rise of Clubhouse, and, mm-hmm. and you, you know you've seen it explode, or it's it's elevating it through video, um, or and or elevating it through you know, other things. It could be augmented reality, virtual reality, live streaming, uh, where it's just a, a fundamentally unique experience that no one has ever seen before. Yeah. So I think taking some time to think about what are some things that people are not doing and they're not doing it because it's hard and you mm-hmm. figure it out because it's hard, um, you're going to win. You know, when it comes to creating content or doing keynotes in the theater, I know it's hard. And that's why people have yeah. not been able to replicate it because it it looks like it's hard and it is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you need a great team. You need uh, you need to be able to move around, and the fact that nobody's done it till this day is because it's just yeah, it, it, it's a moat, right? It's a competitive advantage. Yep. So I think yeah. it's for you to figure out what is my unfair advantage in the world when it comes to podcasts, and just doubling down on that. That's cool. Um, thinking about innovation a little bit more and a little bit more specifically, um, you know, there's many different angles, there's many different camps, there's many different agendas, and all of those sorts of things. Everyone has their their specific spin on it, right? But what are a couple core aspects that need to happen for innovation to occur? The things that are required for innovation to occur are, I think the best environment is like a permissionless environment. Uh, a, an environment where you are free to try new ideas. You are empowered to take ideas and uh, go off and experiment. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a place where your performance management is not uh, tied to your, uh, your, you know, directly to your, um, your compensation is not directly tied to your, all the end results. I think mm-hmm. if your performance management is tied to some of your failures and some of the shots that you're taking and some of the experiments that you're taking, I think that's where you can fuel more innovation. At the end of the day, most people, they want to innovate, but they don't want to risk their job. It's, it's not the risk. It's not the fear of, uh, trying new things, it's the fear of losing my job. Yeah. And I think if we eliminate that and make people uh, and give people the freedom to try new ways of doing things, um, I think that will help spur innovation. And mm-hmm. I think the other thing that really helps spur innovation is, um, is uh, you know, many people think about innovation as technology when it's not. And innovation can be anything. It could be yeah. about processes, uh, new ways of doing things, uh, a new Yes, it can be about bringing in new technologies, but new new student experiences, uh, a new uh, way of organizing your your students or new talent management. It could be so many things other than technology. And I think a lot of people get fussed about the fact that this is technology, so I can't be innovative. The other thing that when it comes to innovation that stops people is that people think that it's like a big idea. It's like a big transformation. It's a big initiative when mm-hmm. it really is about uh, starting very small and and, and um and uh, you know, trying small experiments. And I think the one thing that probably people in this podcast have never heard of when it comes to innovation and spurring innovation is actually building inequality. Let, mm-hmm. let, let me repeat, like building inequality where, where you actually pump up one innovation so much that other people get inspired um, around the organization or around mm-hmm. the classroom to do something similar or to, to create um, similar innovations. Like you need mm-hmm. a magnet. You need you need something you need to stand something up and say, "Wow, she did that." 
Yeah. I want to do that too. Gotcha. That is this idea of creating artificial inequality to, to say, wow, that was amazing. How can you spur uh, innovation ecosystem around that? Mm. And everyone think everyone wants everything to be balanced and fair and easy. But you know, we need stories. We need a narrative. Yeah. We need like we need something compelling. And by creating inequality and creating something so awe-inspiring uh, that can spur others to jump on board, that is uh, that's what we need. Yeah, you've also mentioned um, innovation that dents from the outside. Uh, what do you mean by that, and why is that important? Yeah, I think um, I think denting the outside is a new type of disruption strategy where. You try to experiment outside of your core, whether it's your mm -hmm. core business or your core teachings. Um, and the reason why you want to do that is because if normally within most organizations, if you try to change something yeah. in the core of what you do, the immune system of the organization will just reject it. Exactly. And so the best way of bringing innovations and really making something new or, or bringing something in or transforming yourself is to start to experiment with new ways of doing things outside of your mm. core and then bringing those things in. I think this is a, a, a better way of approaching innovation. And, um, and it's, it's about denting the outside, B mm. build something outside and then bring it in. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's what I would say to that. But I, I want to get your points because I know, you know a lot of people in this podcast, they, they're listening to your thoughts when it comes to uh, technology, leadership, uh, transformation, innovation. So I, I want to know from you because you're working with uh, you know uh, many of these people hand in hand when it comes to innovation and, and introducing new things. What have you seen that uh, really works? I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, I think the experimenting piece is critical and and giving people freedom to do that. And so there has to be some sort of structure. There has to be a conversation. You can't just tell people at a at a beginning of the year meeting, yeah, try some cool stuff this year, right? So, so setting up a structure for people to do that and encouraging that to happen and, and this freedom. So when a teacher, you know, they're trying to do a different project and trying to bring kids into the community, let's say a podcasting, uh, they're trying to make kids make podcasts and, and interview people in their community. So by doing that, you're giving you're giving the teachers freedom to experiment, but you're also encouraging them. You're checking in. Maybe there's some sort of, of innovation coach. Maybe there's some sort of experimenting coach. Maybe there's weekly check-ins where, you know, you're checking in with people that are innovating and experimenting and trying things out and and not seeing failure uh, necessarily as wrong but yeah. seeing failure as a process. So, so as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, well, this is another reason why uh, <laughs> innovation is not happening in the schools. And, and I think this dent from the outside thing really spoke to me. You know, I've been thinking about disruptive innovation, but I, I like the way that you phrase that because a lot of times teachers do want to change. They do want things to be good, but they're trying to change the core. And the core is what Michelle Weiss or, uh, or someone else I talked to recently said, yeah. uh, it's like moving a 2,000 pound marshmallow. You can't do it. And what you're saying is dent from the outside and, and you can remove it or you can start a new thing and you'll be able to change it, you know, sort of changing the game. So that's what I've seen. You know, you got to have these conversations. You got to put your money where your mouth is. If you want teachers to innovate, you want them to change things up. You want them to do things differently and change the game, uh, provide structures, provide encouragement, you know, be a cheerleader, send them on and, and not look to like, like, <laughs> like slap their wrist if they do something that's a little bit outside the bounds. I love that. And I think, um, I think teachers really need to embrace that. And 
the reality is, is that I think teachers are on the brink of getting disrupted. Mm. I think they're on the brink of getting, um, uh, becoming irrelevant. There are way too many people out there where everyone can be a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. YouTube Mm -hmm. is getting unbundled. What does that mean? Like, uh, YouTube is the biggest university on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, and half the people on YouTube are teaching something. They're teaching something about uh, math or, or video or coding. Uh, it's on YouTube. And by the Mm -hmm. way, it's free. Yeah. By the way, there's so many more people that are uh, becoming free agents where they are mm-hmm. they're, they're they're monetizing their craft by selling their expertise in their particular niches. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think if, if teachers don't wake up and they don't start disrupting themselves and mm-hmm. getting the outside and trying new ways of doing yeah. things, um, the everyone else is going to eat their lunch, and, <laughs> and, and they need to they need to. Uh, they need to think about that. Like this is a this is a competitive game now. I think we forget how many times we compete against like pure entertainment, uh, mm. and and we compete against creators and influencers mm. and and Mickey Mouse and Minecraft. Like <laughs> it just, I, I think we just forget that. Yeah, I mentioned Michelle Weiss, uh, you know, a minute ago. We had her on uh, episode twenty eight, and she was mentored by Clayton Christensen with the idea of disruptive innovation, and, and it was a great conversation. I was excited to sort of pair you guys uh, close to each other on the podcast. How are your ideas similar or different from the disruptive innovation ideas of Clayton Christensen and Michelle Weiss? Yeah, well, you know, I think Clayton Christensen, you know, uh, R.I.P., uh, you know, mm-hmm. one of the greatest thinkers yeah. uh, to ever live. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy to think that he he died in 2020, right before the pandemic hit and right before the entire world got disrupted yeah. and really um, accelerated um, innovation. And I think Clayton Christensen, uh, he would have loved to see what happened because I think a mm-hmm. lot of people sort of uh, took his ideas around disruption and and really, uh, you know, finally put it into motion. Um, mm. You know, I think like Clayton Christensen describes disruptive innovation as a process where you have a product or service that initially takes root in like really simple applications at the yeah. bottom of a market and they're typically less expensive, more accessible. Mm-hmm. And then they move up market, yeah. uh, establishing, uh, you know, displacing more established competitors or incumbents. So mm-hmm. it's a very, um, you know, it's a very descriptive model of what we think about disruptive innovation. I, I, I kind of want to simplify it, which yeah. is uh, disruptive innovation to me is somebody coming into a space and fundamentally changing the status quo. Somebody coming okay. into the space and really um, taking market share because they are creating something so awe-inspiring, so compelling, so unique that it is pushing the entire industry forward. And mm-hmm. I think changing the game, changing the status quo is what, to me, disruption is really all about. Mm-hmm. I think it's very it, – it, it's also different than um, what I would say creating a market. So, you know, there's also a, a term around blue ocean strategy where you – do something that somebody has never done before, or you create a fundamentally new category of work, which is, I think, different uh, to disruption, where I think disruption is like when you take existing market share away from somebody else, while creating a new category is, um, yeah, it's different. So like I would say, for example, um, Clubhouse is not a disruptor. I think Clubhouse is a 
a new category of social audio that we haven't seen before. I don't think yeah. it's taking away from podcast uh, no. as much, but it is a nice addition and people are using it in new ways. Um, so I, I that, that's to me what uh, disruption versus, I guess, category creation really looks like. Yeah, who who's doing that really well right now? You know, changing the status quo, ramping it up a notch, doing things totally different and better than what they were being done. Yeah, to me, like, you know, some of the companies that I really love when it comes to a disruption standpoint are not the atypical players. You know, most people think about the disruptors as the technology giants. And yeah. because of their technological prowess, they're able to move mm-hmm. to different verticals and disrupt. I, I, I'm really fascinated by some of these organizations that have what I call cultural capital. Like because they have the power of the community, they can enter into new verticals and really disrupt industries. I'm talking about uh, companies like uh, a a barstool sports. Uh, mm. You know, many people don't agree with their sort of uh, their their platform and what they represent, but because they have the power of the community, they can almost get into anything: crypto, gaming, like food. Mm. Uh, they are disruptor in that sense. I, I look at what some of the creators are doing, um, individual creators, like people like Mr. Beast. Uh, like this is a YouTuber who's 22 years old. Um, you know, he can enter into a vertical by simply by having the community at his fingertips. There's a lot mm. of direct-to-consumer companies like the Warby Parkers um, and the Caspers yeah. and the Dollar Shave Clubs yeah. that um, created a new way of doing things online. And again, uh, really gaining sort of an audience and the community around their particular products. Um, I think what um, uh, like Glossier has done in the makeup space where they've really turned their community into evangelists where they uh, sell their own sort of products or they, 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 they're able to sell Glossier products um, by just evangelizing, evangelizing it and turning mm-hmm. the consumers into like uh, evangelists or producers, which I think mm-hmm. is really cool. So to me, the, the real interesting disruptors are the ones that are using culture as a disruptor. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's fascinating. And of course, on the technology side, yeah. like I love, for example, what TikTok is doing from Byte and, uh, you know, their, their parent company, ByteDance, and how they're using artificial intelligence to, to make content more compelling and personalized and we think about Mm -hmm. education and what tiktok is doing to education i mean it it shows what the future of what education might look like like totally personalized uh compelling short form uh Mm -hmm. uh user generated like that if you want to know what the future of education looks like go to tiktok Hmm. yeah we've we've talked about education we've sort of jumped all around in our conversation uh it's been re- it's been really interesting, and I want to come back to education for a moment. I want to speak to educators, and and just for a moment too. You've sort of disrupted this conversation. I'm not used to being asked questions on the podcast, so you're sort of even flipping the script well, I here. Mean, <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I I'm not sure why because you're 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 someone that has a deep knowledge of this space, and I think um you know I think again like the the audience I think appreciates your thoughts and ideas on this stuff. I'm down with that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's, uh, before we, you know, close things up here, let's come back to the educators for a moment. Yes. Um, because you've given a lot of great insight, a lot of great things to think about, a lot of things that are one challenging. I feel like you've challenged us and then you've also sort of motivated and inspired. So I'm sort of balancing those two, right? But I don't want to, I don't want it to be out of whack. 
uh, before we close things up. I don't want one side to be too heavy. I don't want people to be discouraged too much before they go, or I don't want people to be too inspired and not challenged enough. So I want you to sort of level this out for us, synthesize it for a moment. What would you say to educators that that want to innovate but don't know how? Yeah, no, it, 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 it's a great question. I think um, I think the first thing is really it's really taking a step back and taking a look at where education is going, mm-hmm. uh, taking a look at the old model of education yeah. versus the new model, and where do you play? Where what is your as an educator? Where is your unique skill sets? And you might say to yourself. Listen, I don't get this technology stuff. That's not my that's not my skill set. That's not where I want to play. Well then, you know what? Get people that can. I think mm. the old model of thinking about education is like how do I how do I own my own expertise and 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 uh only deliver this in the way that I know? While mm. I, I think it's taking a very small experiment and saying, how can I start to uh, reinvent myself? How can I start to build in new things that I've never done before and sort of push the boundaries of what I can do? I think it's this idea of um, quit being uh, so narrowly focused on our academic subject matter, yeah. but really saying, okay, so who can I, who can I collaborate with? Maybe I don't have all the knowledge around where the world is going, but who can I collaborate with that would have appeal to my end students? Mm. Um, Whether it's partnering up with gaming gamers or whether it's partnering up with YouTube influencers. Listen, um, most kids right now, the job that they want for the future is they want to be a YouTuber. Um, So how can we partner with some of those people to to make some of that happen? How Mm. do we create, to uh, in, in a very small way, you know, how do we create easy, shareable bite-sized content that we could repurpose that that students would find valuable um mm. how do we uh enable more peer-to-peer uh uh peer-to-peer education um and give the the students the tools to go off and do it and i'm not saying to reinvent everything yeah. but i think it's like taking a very small experiment and just mm-hmm. trying something out it's saying you know over this month or over the next couple of months, I'm just gonna take one small experiment. It's gonna take me six weeks to, you know, figure out and implement and deploy. And I wanna see how I learn from it. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, how do I take this small experiment and, and sort of build on that? And what you are going to start to do when you take that small experiment, you will start to build a muscle when it comes yep. to experimentation. You will yep. start to build a, a mindset around it. And I think that's the best way of mm. fundamentally uh, disrupting yourself and innovating. It, it's starting with those small steps. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that's helps us lead to reflection. All the educators out there, including myself, you know, take those nuggets and don't just uh, listen and move on. Stop, well, I, think, yeah. reflect, do. I, What's I, up, Sean? Listen, I'm, I'm curious from, uh, from your, your st- <laughs> uh, standpoint, where, where do you think education is going? Because I, 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 I've obviously, you know, given this sort of exp- uh, either – Hmm. You can you can take it as bleak, or you can take it as super inspiring. But where education is going, uh, where where do you think it's going? And uh, I'd lo- love to get your sort of opinion because you're deep in this space. I don't want to come across negative, but a lot of people, and I've interacted with a lot of people that say, uh, "Oh, COVID nineteen has disrupted education. It's going to change it forever." And I've sort of been, here's my stance on that. Mm, I'm not so sure because unless you change the mindset. Unless you change the way people do things, 
you know, a pandemic is not going to revolutionize and a bureaucratic education system that's been like this since 1912. You know what I mean? That's not going to do it. Now, that might, you know, encourage people, open people's eyes to do education differently, but that in and of itself isn't. So what's the what's the question, right? It's do people want to, to do education differently? And I'm not so sure that they do. I mm. think a lot of leaders and a lot of teachers um, and a lot of stakeholders want education to remain the same. Now, I have seen, uh, you know, small, nimble schools and organizations sort of popping up the past couple years, doing things totally different. You know, high school isn't high school. It's you have a mentor one day a week, and then the rest of the week, I'm partnering you with like authentic internships in the community, and you're going to learn. Yeah, there we go. Let's go. Yeah, there we go. Exactly. (laughs) Real world experience. That's what I'm talking about. I love that. So that's inspiring. That's uh, BV Caps and Iowa Big out in Iowa. Iowa Big is a really inspiring story. So it actually is partnering with the public school system in Iowa. It's not just this independent uh, thing. So it's it's actually partnering with all of the public school districts and they're and they're doing things totally different. I want to pause this podcast for a moment to let you know about another great podcast. Hey, everyone. My name is Mike Dunn, and I'm one of the co-hosts of Rethinking EDU. Our podcast is a roundtable discussion about education possibility. We talk with professionals from around the country who are doing groundbreaking work reimagining and remaking schools. Come check us out at rethinkingedu.co or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to the show. As we wind things down, who do you want to give a shout out to? I want to give a shout out to you. And I say I say this with peace and love. If you've gone this far on this podcast, give this guy a rating, a review, and, and subscribe. Because I think you are uh, uh, pulling together these great people on this podcast, really trying to think about what the future of education is going to look like. And, and, and my shout outs to you because it takes a lot of work and time to pull this together. And so um, I just hope that people, uh, yeah, just you know, put the rating and review in. That's my shout out. I know it's, 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 uh, it's not what you were expecting, but it's important. Okay. Hey, I, I love it. Uh, time for the final word, Sean, what do you want to say to close out this podcast? All I want to say is if I had a billboard or if I had a, a billboard in, in, in Times Square, I would just say hmm. innovation does not equal technology. Technology does not equal innovation. You can innovate without mm. understanding technology. You don't, you can find, if you need yeah. technology, you can find the right partners. Don't let the technology uh, strap you down. It's really about thinking differently. Mm. Sean, thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep. Edu, appreciate you helping us dive deep into ideas and the application of innovation. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep. Edu, if you like this episode, like Sean said, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.